I'll be reading scripture from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. All right. Um, this is our second week in Philippians. Last week was life defined, a successful life defined. And this week, oh, we're just looking at humility. And I, I would say this is, I think you like and I like uh, humility, but we like the reception of humility. Uh, I like it if humility serves me, okay? Uh, we cel- Melissa and I celebrated our 23rd anniversary, wedding anniversary this, this year, and um, I have big plans for 25, so I've got to wait a couple years, but this is what I want to happen. I, I want to go to one of those all-inclusive thingies, and it means um, I sit down and I'm served. And who serves me, Right? Who is doing the servanty? Well, servanty type people will do this great service to me, and they'll have humble jobs like bringing me drinks and folding fresh warm towels and making meals and cleaning the pool. I actually don't hate humility in this instance. Uh, I am very pro-humility if I am receiving humility. I don't hate humility there. But if social justice looks like serving addicts or serving the hungry or the mentally addled and tortured, our our culture loves the idea, they can get behind the idea of getting that type of humility done. They can get behind that idea the result of humility, but humility in the raw, I think our culture is allergic to humility in the raw. Self-effacement, I mean, can you serve at a mission or the Ronald McDonald House or can you go to Tijuana or can you, can you serve your neighbor without posting about it? Can you do that without making it known to somebody? I think our culture hates humility in the raw because we have humble people for that. But humility for me? No, no, I'll pay people for the humility, but I don't know if I'm into humility for me. 
I'm not, I don't know. So, you guys know, probably read the articles, lifeguards are in short supply this summer. I don't know if you've been reading that. Uh, good mortgage rates are hard to find this summer. And humility, well, you can't hardly find humility. And I think our problem is that we don't think that's a problem. We don't think that's a problem. So this is what uh, Paul's going to do in Philippians 2 is he's actually going to show us um, what our problem is. And our problem is that we are empty glory guzzlers. That's our problem when we're talking about humility. And then he's going to give this picture of, okay, let me give you a little picture of what true wholeness looks like. So our problem is that we guzzle glory. Let me show you a picture of wholeness. And then, and then I'm going to show you how we can get true humility. And not the type that is acting more humble. That is not humility. For sure that's not humility. So that's where we're going. All right, so our main problem is that we're empty glory guzzlers. Uh, now, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think it would be great that uh, we lived in a, unite, a unified America? Uh, the United States of, the United States of America. That's a joke. That's a joke. We are not united. Right? I, don't, I, have, I don't have to prove that to you. Uh, but you get this. You get this on a micro level and you get it on a macro level. You all heard me this, say this before, but if you just want to be convinced what your neighbors, just on a micro level, where you live, like within streets of you, just go on next door <laughs> and read the crazy things that people say to each other. We are divided in a micro way and we are divided in a macro way. Uh, just uh, read every op-ed, all the Twitter grenades. Um, there is real gunfire and real bombs. Uh, you cannot make a statement today without getting eviscerated. Uh, you just can't do it. There's contention with us all the time. We are divided. We are divided. Uh, now, Jesus' communities have division too. We have a dividedness in every Jesus community I've ever been. There's, there's some, some are worse than others, some are a little better, but there's always a dividedness somewhere. I want this and you want that, and I, we, we just think differently. We think differently. Now, why is that? Why are we divided? It's because we are empty shells and we have no glory and we are glory guzzlers. Now, you're going to say, wow, Tim, that is really funny. I didn't really see that in the text. Show me from the text. Let's do it. Uh, this, this is uh, Philippians 2, uh, the second half of verse 2 to uh, 4. This is what Paul says. He says, being in full accord and of one mind. Um, so he's talking to the church at Philippi. Uh, so I want you to be of one mind. You're not of one mind, but I want you to be of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or, and you might have grown up with the KJV, um, uh, uh, vain conceit. Um, another translation says vain glory, or, but the ESV says conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to also to the interests of others. Okay. Um, Paul, in this instance, he's actually uh, addressing his friends in Philippi, um, and these, these guys have been cat fighting. He's in prison, if you remember from last week. Uh, uh, they're not getting along. There's lots of opinions, lots of strong words, lots of, lots of strong characters and personalities, and they're divided. They're not of one accord, one mind. 
And so uh, Paul says this, he says, you have two problems. Uh, one is selfish ambition, okay? And that's pretty straightforward, right? I want things that I want. I am going to go after the things that only benefit me. That selfish ambition is pretty straightforward. Uh, but that second idea is massive in this passage. Uh, so my fundamental day school, my Baptist day school that I went to when I was a little kid, very fundamental. There was just drilled memory verses. I learned in the KJV, then I went to the New American Standard Version. Um, uh, the, this verse is, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit. Okay. It's going to be huge. So in the Greek, it's one word. The word is uh, kenodoxia. Kenodoxia. All right, keno means empty. Uh, the second half of the word, like the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The dox doxia means glory. So this is what it literally means. We are glory empty. You're glory empty. I'm glory empty. Right? And our hearts are glory guzzlers. We're empty of glory. We're thirsty for what? I want someone to honor me. I want someone to respect me. I want someone to know me. I want someone to see me. I want someone to love me. We're glory guzzlers. That's, that's what Paul's saying is like, oh, your problem is that you're empty. You're empty of glory. That's your problem. Uh, now, I would say this is you have and I have this massive, colossal insecurity that maybe I'm not a big deal. In spite of all of our parents telling us, you're a big deal, you're a big deal, you're a big deal, we love you, you're such a big deal. And yet, we have this sneaking suspicion that what if I'm not a big deal? What if I'm not a big deal? Why does it haunt us? What if I'm not a big deal? What if I'm not noticed? What if I'm not seen? What if people don't see all the awesome things that I am and think about? Is my life counting? Does anybody see me? Um, in Los Angeles, uh, you've, you've heard the agents quip about their, 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 their stars. Is they say, all news is good news. Um, it, it's better to be in the tabloids than to be forgotten. Uh, do you remember Perez Hilton? Uh, he's, he was like that online, he was kind of the first part of, of just gossip, just straight up celebrity Hollywood gossip. And uh, he has this, I remember reading an article and he had this quote, he said, I'd rather be hated than be a nobody. I'd rather be hated than be a nobody. Now why is that? Because we're glory empty. We're glory empty. We're glor and glory guzzling leads to what? When people feel, when people feel like, I, you don't notice me, you don't see me, you don't know who I am, and then when you step on my toes just a little bit and you offend me to the slightest degree, I'm gonna come at you hard. You better see me. You better listen to me. Do you know who I am, right? And this, is, this isn't just in a personal microcosm. It's, this is for nation states and nationalities. What, you cannot say that to us. Do you not? We were gonna respond and we're gonna respond with a trigger and a button. We're gonna do this, why? And this is causes division. That's what Paul says, oh, we're glory guzzlers. You're empty of glory. That's the problem and that's why you're divided. 
we, we saw this. Um, you guys have seen this slide before. I, I, we use it a lot as far as to let us know God's story. But in creation, um, God made us not to die. Right? He made us to be known all the time. In creation, that first, he made us that we would never be forgotten. We were, in fact, in fact, we were made to last. We were made to last. And then when brokenness and sin enters in and it fractures everything in body, mind, soul, physical, the physical world even, what, what, what happens? It means that my life, I'm gonna die. And it means this, is I know deeply I'm fading away. I'm fading va- I'm, I'm vanishing. I'm going to die. I'm vanishing. Um, this week, we've been um, getting rid of my mom's stuff. She's moving out of her house uh, uh, to assisted living, and my siblings and I have descended on her house, and we're, we're getting rid of a lot of stuff, and we're having a, a garage sale. The dumpster comes Monday, <laughs> and, and, and you can just see, you can see a life in pictures and items, and guess what? We're almost getting rid of everything. And I feel that. Whoa. She doesn't even have a Google footprint. Uh, my mom may not even exist to a newer generation. Fading away. Fading away. What's going to be the thing that, that, that makes my Life worth it. And this is what we do. I do. I am hustling and I am bustling around and we can even use other people to get involved with our glory guzzling, our self-glory project. I'm glory emptying. See, that's my problem. I'm glory emptying and I'm trying to guzzle glory wherever I can grab it. but it divides me and it hurts the people around me too. Okay, that's our problem. But now Paul moves and he says, I'm gonna gonna show you what sweet wholeness looks like, unified wholeness with yourself. I'm gonna show you what that looks like. And we see this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. He says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or that vain conceit. And then he says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's huge. So he gives it to us. I'm going to give you this picture of sweet wholeness, and it, it includes humility. When you consider someone else before yourself, that does not sound like glory guzzling. It doesn't. All right, so um, there's the ancient definition in Greek. For the ancient Greeks, they had a definition of humility that, that Paul uses here. And let me give you the, from the ancient lexicon. All right, so this is not, this is not Tim defining this. This is not even modernity di- defining humility. This is what humility was defined for, for the ancient Greeks. Here it is. Gentle, modest, 
and deferential. No, 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 you, you first. No, 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 you first. Okay. Outside of the New Testament, you're going you're to love this and hate it. I don't know. Maybe you'll just love it. Um, outside of the he- New Testament, whenever this is used in antiquity, it's always derogatory and insulting. <laughs> All right? Why? It's the aspect of a slave. It's the demeanor of a servant. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sir, sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm very gentle, low tones. You can't get angry. What, what did the ancient Greeks value? Strength. I'm going to get respect. And how do you get respect? By having an iron fear that you will respect the hand. That's, that's, what they, that's what they honored and valued. So this is, if you today think humility is a positive word, do not underestimate how Christianity has pressed in upon you and convinced you of that. Because for most of human history, humility stinks. It's derogatory. All right, what? This is it. Why would the early Christian writers go with this word to advance a religion? <laughs> like, I'm going to pick this uh, derogatory, insulting word, and I'm gonna, the New Testament uses humility over 270 times. Why would you do that? This horrible, stinky word. Why would you do that? Um, why would they say, um, we want, our Savior is a drink-bringing towel-folding, pool-cleaning savior. Why did they do that? I, I just want you to say, is Jesus' insistence on that word to describe himself is culturally explosive and, 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 and um, it, it's revolutionary. small challenge. I, I challenge you to look at and find any ancient Greek writer and try to find humility as a beautiful, virtuous character trait. I don't think you can find it. And then Jesus leads with it. Um, um, actually, the meek will inherit the earth. And then he says things like, um, learn from me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Think about, think about this. Think about the distillation of Christianity. Like if we're just going to pull it down to its, its core, number one core tenet for us as Jesus followers. Let's just distill it down and make it really simple. If I go to, if I go to Jesus and I say, hey, what, or, or God, and I say, hey, look, I want you to look at what I've done. I want you to look at my swagger. I want you to look at my glory that I've really built up and tried hard to build. Like, my, take, a, take a look at my glory. Woo-hoo! Take a look at my awesome. Take a look at this. What is this? God turns and says, yeah, I don't know who you are. But if I show up with God and I say what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I say, I have nothing. I repent. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross. I, like, I've got, I don't have a lot. I'm at your mercy and don't look at, my, don't look at my works, both good and bad. Just don't look at them, please. Don't look at them. Look at Jesus and what does God do? He turns to you and says, you are mine. 
because of my mercy and my goodness and my grace. If we're going to distill Christianity, what is it? Pride will kill you and humility will give you life. Right, right here in Christianity. So I get this from Jonathan Edwards. I get it from Thomas Watson. I get it from um, John Owen. Um, but they, they have this, and this is a tool for you guys and me, is like, do you want to know if you're humble? You're like, okay, I'm in. Here's a spiritual tool for you to know if you're humble. And they do it by saying opposite things. So they say this is pride. Um, pride looks like drivenness. Pride looks like drivenness. Now you can say, whoa, 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 I'm really driven and I want to accomplish great things in my job and in my, in my hobbies. And No, 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 that's not drivenness according to the Puritans. Just listen to this. It doesn't mean that you're passionate or you're not hardworking. It doesn't mean that. Um, or that you want to pursue excellence. Those are beautiful things. Those are beautiful things. This is what it means. Um, drivenness that is proud and not humble is this. I love my thing so much that I do. Let's say I'm into watercolors. I don't know how to make that up. But I love the beauty and, and the craft and doing it so much that even if my friend wins awards for all of their watercolors, I still find great joy. But if I hate it, that they're winning, then I have driven this. And I don't love it for the thing, I love it for what it can get me. And the, and the Puritans say, that's pride. That's not humble. If you're driven just to have, possess something and it doesn't bring you joy, then guess what? You're, you're a very proud person, you're not a humble person. They give a second tool. The second tool is this, is, and again, it's in the opposite, is that you're always scornful. Now that's a biblical word, um, but this is what they mean by that, is um, let's say you're always full, let's say you're always super, super sarcastic. I, I feel this because I feel like I'm very sarcastic. I, I feel this one deeply. Like I'm always kind of ridiculing or having little small wits for stupid people over here and I can make it funny. Um, if I'm always doing that, what? I'm setting myself above and saying, oh, you noob. And I've got jokes about you. And the Puritans say, oh, Tim, you're proud. You're proud. You're not, you're not on the same level of the, 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 the level ground in front of the cross. Oh, you, you're just being scornful to like show how great you are. Um, here's an example of this is if our steady diet is um, uh, late night show comedians and um, Twitter comedians that just absolutely eviscerate the other side with their jokes and that's our steady diet, guess what? That is pride. That is pride and it will feed you. It'll feed your pride. It will not make you a humble person. It'll make you super funny, but it won't make you a humble person. The, the, the Puritans had a third one, Here, a great tool. They said um, willfulness. And they said willfulness is, is spiritual pride in this is that um, you're absolutely sure of all of your great points and all of your beliefs and you're positive that no one can change your mind. You can't admit wrong. 
Um, the Puritans have this phrase, and I got this from Thomas Watson. He said this, is um, a, a, a proud person can't admit wrong. And he said, especially, especially if they're not under duress. Why? Because usually we admit wrong when stuff has gone down and we're under duress and we're like, okay, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They said, but a sweet, humble person under no duress at all can say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Fourth tool. You guys are thinking, whoa, these Puritans. Yes, I know, it gets better after this. It, you're like, I sure hope so. Um, the fourth tool is this, is self-consciousness. This is a great one because a lot of us think of pr proud people as the ones real flashy, like the influencers online. Like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Hey, look at me again. Hey, don't look over there. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but this is it. This is it. We think of, of, of um, pride and arrogance as self-promoters. But what we don't often think of is that pride can look like insecurity. Right? It can just be manifested in inferiority. Oh, I'll just be quiet. Nobody wants to listen to me. I'm kind of worried about if I say anything, I'm kind of worried how what people will think. So I'll just be quiet. What are you thinking about? You. See, see, the Puritans get it right. And then C.S. Lewis picked up on it as well. He said, oh, 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 humility isn't thinking about yourself. It's moving off sight from you and thinking about something other than yourself. And Paul gets at that, doesn't he? Oh, thinking about others before yourself. It's like what you're looking at, what, you're, what the focus is. This is so huge. Um, look at verse four. Let each of you look at not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this is so sweet that Paul put this in here because I had missed this before. I've preached on this before, but I missed it. He said, you still look to your own interests. <laughs> and you can be humble by looking to your own interests. Just don't look to your own interests exclusively. I thought that was so beautiful. It's what you're looking at. Now, so the Puritans give us, all right, I've given you a diagnostic tool that we used in the negative of like, okay, all of these bad things, was, it just stabbed all of us. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a proud person. I'm not very humble, okay? He, so he gives us a picture of what health looks like. Um, but how do we get true humility? So how is that all cured? Philippians 2. Um, in seminary, uh, the first uh, thing we translate in Greek is uh, 1 John, just because it's really short. It's pretty simple. And, uh, and the second one uh, you do is when you've had a couple semesters of Greek is you move into Philippians. Um, and it's where Philippians use a lot of, a lot of his, uh, Paul uses a lot of his street Greek. So street Greek is, um, I'm not saying it's all like, um, you know, thug talk. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it, it, it's more of what you would use at the market in the bazaar. Whereas 1 Corinthians is really high, highfalutin, academic, super Greek, okay? And, 
Philippians, when we go through it, we go word by word, phrase by phrase. And the reason why they do that second translation, the second thing you do in Greek in seminary, the reason why they pick Philippians is that you run into Philippians 2, and it's a monster passage for understanding huge theological things about God. So when we run into Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, um, we spend the most amount of time just syllable by syllable, argument by argument, translating this section. Um, why? Because it's super famous. Now, I hate saying a passage is famous. You know, all of Scripture is God-breathed and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, and yet I have to say it's famous because people refer to this passage a lot. It's theologically famous. It's because we're, it's where we understand the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So here's, here's, I just said all of that, and you're like, I have no idea why you just vomited that on me. Here, this is going to make sense. Why does Paul, in this passage, go for this massive, top-level, big theological idea about the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Why? I thought he was talking about divi divisions and, and, and I, I th why? Why? All right, this is why. This is brilliant. Because you and I cannot work on humility. None of us can work on humility. It, um, uh, uh, Tim Keller says this, it's the shyest of all the virtues. You cannot work on being better at humility. It's only a byproduct of something else. You cannot work on it. That's how frustrating is that. I want to be a better humble person and I can't work at being humble. Now, people do and that's the play acting humble and that's nonsense, all right? So play acting at humility is nonsense. So how do you get better at it? Because you're supposed to get something else first. Um, humility is a byproduct of wanting something more than being humble. Let me say that again. Humility is a byproduct of wanting something more than being humble. Why? Why would anyone want to be humble? Just like that's a decent question. Think about that. Why would anyone want? It would be so that people would say, oh my, they are the most humble person. And then it's shot. No, you're not. <laughs> it kills itself, right? So here's the second part of the cure, and it's right in the center. This is, this, this is where it gets to get money, because you've stayed with me. I appreciate it. Philippians 2, 6, and 7, here, here it says this. Talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant emptied himself. You know what word that is? Kenosis. Kino? You know how we are empty of glory? This is kenosis where God, Jesus, is emptying himself of glory. See, see, theologians have talked about this. They're like, what did, what, did, what, did, what did Jesus empty himself of? Did he empty himself of his deity? Nope. He's still God. He's still man. Like, what did he empty himself? And it's given it to us. He emptied himself of glory. And he emptied himself of glory for those who are empty of glory and were glory guzzlers. Isaiah 53. 
I, I love that passage because it describes the emptying that happens. What, what did Jesus empty himself of, of the glory? He emptied himself of his beauty. It says that in Isaiah 53. Um, it, he, he had the countenance of one that we would not esteem. Who has all the followers online? Well, you gotta be beautiful. I'm gonna empty myself of that. I'm gonna empty myself of my beauty glory. What else? I'm gonna empty myself of my friends, my knownness, my community. I am gonna empty myself of the best community of all time. I, the, 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 the other two persons of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Spirit, they will abandon me. I'm gonna empty myself of that privilege in that, that relationship. I'm gonna empty myself of a healthy life. I'm gonna get tortured and killed. And this is it, is Isaiah 53 describes a person who just became so beat upable. Can he talk about Jesus that way? Yeah, he became so killable. Just, you could just kill him. Right? So kickable. Like a grandmother coming in, oh, I could just pinch your cheeks. He emptied of himself of his glory so much, we were like, we could just, just beat you to death. That, that's, that's the sense here. I'm gonna empty myself. I'm gonna lose all the glory. And then we get this in verse nine. Because of that, God the Father, I'm gonna bring you up. I'm gonna bring you up. I'm gonna exalt you. And this is where we get, this is where we, the way up, oh, it is down. The way to be rich, oh, it is to be, to be generous. The way to be a boss and to rule over people is to serve. The way to be happy is not to chase and run after happiness. The way to fill my glory is not to chase the glory and guzzle it up. He emptied himself so that you and I would be full. So, what does this mean? I want you to guzzle this. Guzzle the right glory. Guzzle this. Christ looks at you and me and he says, I want your wholeness and I want the closeness between you and me. I want that more than all the likes, all the strokes, all the attaboys, all the jewels, all every, everything that you could imagine. I, that's what I want and I want it more than all of that. I empty myself of that because this will fill me. Now, to the degree that we love that and we sing about it and we think about it and we're content with that type of glory, you won't have to think about yourself. I won't have to think about myself. Now, here's the last line. You know that will unify your mind and your soul and your psyche? It will unify what's divided and fragmented. And then it will do all sorts of unifying progressively to all the people around you. It's true, it's true, that's humility. Let's pray into that. Jesus, um, by your kindness, by your own humility, would we receive it and talk about it and laugh about it and be in awe about it and, and now sing about it. And may that by your great power of drawing close to humility May we become humble without even thinking about it. In Jesus' name, amen.